everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. Y'all, we are blessed. We are so blessed today um, with a special uh, guest. Before I get into that, you know, we are in week two of a three-week series we're doing called We Are. And really, this is a series where we're talking about really the aspects of the body of Christ, but even what God is doing in our church. We Are the Body is what Dr. Tony presented last week. He did such a great job. Can we give Dr. Tony a hand uh, for coming and bringing the word last week? Um, next week, I'll be finishing uh, things up, talking about we are a city and really casting vision for what it is that God's called us to do in this city and as the city of God. And um, this morning, uh, we have a special treat. So we are part of a global family of churches called Every Nation Ministries. And it has been a spiritual family. We use that term very uh, deeply. It's been a family of God uh, that God has placed us in, that God connected me to many years ago, back in 2000. Uh, it's where I met my wife. It's where I received uh, the call to step into full-time ministry. And so many of my lifelong relationships have been as a result of God connecting and joining me to this spiritual family. Many of you have seen some of our Every Nation cousins that have come in from different places. Dr. Brian Taylor from Cincinnati, Bethel, Cincinnati, who came over and spoke. And there have been many others, Justin Gray, who came up from Nashville. And today we have family all the way from Vancouver, Canada, y'all, uh, that have come. And so can we please give a warm City of Lights welcome to Pastor Mitchell and his wife, Miss Debbie. Pastor Greg, come on up. Come on, y'all. We can do better than that. Let's show them love. They came all the way from the great white north. We're really excited to be here. I was um, back in April looking on the, the website and was going to come to a conference here. And, uh, and then I quickly looked up. Um, it was about fostering and adoption. And so I looked up, is there a church in Indianapolis? And then, lo and behold, John and Kelly Owens are like my favorite. And, uh, and so I contacted Kelly and lo and behold, we're here and we get to just be with you. And that's a privilege. I was like so excited worshiping with, you know, you got your brotherhood team up here apparently. And I was thinking, you know, like, I'm, I'm like a worshiper. Like, I'm stomping on the devil's head and praising God all at the same time. And, and then I look over at my husband. I know it's a really good worship set. When his hands are in his pocket, we get a knee moving. That's good. You did good. And, and then I'm thinking, though, I'm thinking, though, any minute now, you guys are going to get the powerhouse preacher. This guy, this guy, I, I'm, I'm in love with him. I adore him. And... Um, He's like, I'm his greatest fan. I think I get to go everywhere with him. But um, he's going to bring the word of God. And I'm telling you, when this man preaches, the demons flee too. And so you guys are in for a treat. But let me introduce our family to you real quick. Is there a photo of our family? This is the real reason why we're happy to be here. <laughs> uh, 11 children. So, um, so... 
this was taken on September 2nd. That was our 10-year anniversary of uh, celebrating our combined family together. 10 years ago, we took in a sibling group of uh, four children. Their sister eventually joined us. Their cousins came to live with us. So all these kids call us mom and dad. It's hard to point out our original four. I think they're at the top. Jonathan is at the top. Toby is our adopted one, the dark hair. Tyler and Jesse. And we all agreed as a family that we would take these children in and love them. And uh, we're in the process and have completed our paperwork to adopt them all. So yeah, that's our tribe. So thank you for having us. It's a real treat to be here. We love your pastors. Love them well. They love you guys. We had, like you said, a special evening last night. When you hear the hearts of your pastors, let me tell you, they love you. And they've laid down their lives to serve this city and this church. And Greg and I were inspired to be with them. It was very mutual. So we love you a lot and you should be honored. There's a, uh, there's a joke that uh, Debbie and I have that whenever she talks, everyone claps. And whenever I talk, everyone goes, that's really interesting. I'll think about that. Uh, she has all the energy in the house. You know, it's, um, it's interesting when you come into a church, there's a certain feeling that you have. And in this church, it feels safe. It just feels like a safe place to be. And uh, I think that's amazing. Uh, since I'm a guest speaker, however, there's a, uh, there's a gym etiquette uh, up behind you. And it says uh, no foul language, uh, no fighting, no aggressive behavior. So even though it's safe, let's keep it that way as we, uh, as we look at God's word together. Uh, we're, as you heard from Pastor John, we're already in the middle of a series on, uh, on, on who we are. As, uh, as God's people. And today we're going to be looking at the idea of family through the lens of love. And since that really is the heart of family. So we want to uh, begin by, uh, by asking, what is our life purpose? If I was to give you the microphone and ask you, what is your life purpose? What would you say? Maybe it's simply to be happy. Or you're looking for that perfect career. God bless you with that. Or you're looking for self-fulfillment. Or what would be your life purpose? How would you describe that? Uh, maybe it's to glorify God, which is an outstanding purpose. More specifically, how do we find out why God created us? How do we find that out? Do we fill out surveys? Uh, do you ask a lot of people? Do you pray about it? Is it kind of a trial and error thing? How many, have you heard this, how many uh, different vocations do people go through in their life? It's up to like six or eight, right? Different jobs that you have during the course of your life. And so how do you figure out what God has called you to do and who he's called you to be? Well, fortunately, uh, we have a creator and he told us. Before I was a pastor, I was a woodwork and drafting teacher. And so I built lots of stuff over the years. And it's, it's never been true that after you put in all the time and energy to build something, and somebody would ask me, what is that? I, I have never said, I don't know. I had some time, and that's what happened. I've never done that. If I'm going to put all the time and energy into building something, it's going to be built with a purpose. And so God made you with a purpose, and he told you what it is. And he recorded it in Matthew Chapter 22, 37 to 40. This is what it says. It'll be on the screen. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So if we were to summarize the whole Bible, you could summarize it in loving God and loving others. So this means then that true happiness, true success, true fulfillment is found in a love relationship with God and others. Uh, That just saved you a lot of time and money. Because some of us are off chasing this, and really it's right in front of us, because he's right in front of us. And to have a living, dynamic relationship with him, with the spiritual community, the natural family, that's what life is all about. Uh, It's profound to me how profound this is. They're, They're doing more and more research on the significance of relationship. Have any of you seen that TED Talk? It's now also a just a kind of a YouTube clip called Rat Park. Has any of you heard of that? Okay, let me tell you about it. Just look, look it up. It's really interesting. What they did is they did some research on addicts. And they discovered that the primary reason for addiction, get this, has nothing to do with substance abuse. It has everything to do with relationship. And the way that you actually get out of addiction is not so much the withdrawal from a substance, although there'll be a part to that, But it's mostly about understanding how to have healthy connections with other people and, of course, ultimately with God. That's just fascinating. There was other work done uh, now a number of decades ago on people with schizophrenia. Now, uh, if you don't know much about this, you would think that the only way to kind of get healed of schizophrenia is if you would uh, take some kind of medication. But what they actually found was that schizophrenia was, it's not everything, but it was part of a uh, unhealthy uh, family relational dynamic. And as families got healthier, the child with schizophrenia decreased in their symptoms. Isn't that remarkable? And so it seems like no matter where research is taking us these days, the answer always seems to come back to one thing. And it's to have a loving relationship with one another and ultimately with God. Isn't that encouraging? I just find that amazing. So uh, this is how God thinks. If God was to ask you, uh, how are you? Uh, how would you respond? You know, if we ask each other, how are you? How, how are you doing today? You would say, you know, fine. The whole world's doing fine, right? And now if I'd be annoying and ask a follow-up question, how are you really doing? You know, what then would you say? And typically the way that we answer that question is the world is revolving around me quite nicely today. Thank you very much. Uh, The sun is shining. If you're from my city, it's not raining. We get a lot of rain. We don't get a lot of snow, but we get a lot of rain. Uh, I got a raise. Uh, The traffic was good. Whatever it is, we usually describe our day and how it's revolving around us quite nicely. Thank you. But when God asked that question, the way what he's looking for is how was your relationship with me? with your natural and spiritual family and with the world around you. It's not so much about how you're feeling about yourself, it's how your relationships are. Because God is a relational God. And he cares so much about you. When he asks how you're doing, he's asking that question with a relational perspective. So given the importance in God's heart and in our practical lives toward relationship, we need to then examine what is love. 
Uh, sounds like a song. Anyways, or more than one, really. But, uh, but what, is, what is love? How would you describe it if it's such a big deal? Now, some people describe love as a feeling. I think that's the most popular way to describe it. Well, we have uh, millions of teenagers. And if, if love was reduced to a feeling, God help us. Because, you know, one day it's I love you and everybody else, and the next minute is I hate everybody else. And kind of that's how the roller coaster goes on any given day. And so I hope that love is more than a feeling. And when God says that he loves us, it's just more than just an emotional moment for him. I think it's got to be more profound than that. Uh, others describe love as an action. That seems better. Uh, we were just listening to a speaker yesterday that described love as a verb. I really like that. But I think it's too simplistic to reduce love to a set of behaviors. For example, if I'm smiling at you, is this an act of love or am I just nervous, you know? Or something more profound would be sex. Is sex always about making love? Well, for sure we know that's not true. There's something called rape and abuse. Um, When you're pleasing your boss, doing what you should do, is that always just because you love your boss from the deepest depth of your heart? You know, do I get an amen on that? I don't know. <laughs> amen. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's not, we can't just say that when we do this, it's always about love. Uh, more than a feeling or action, the Bible describes, and this was life-changing for me when I discovered this. It's in the Bible. That the Bible describes love as a motive. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says exactly this. Do everything in love. Love is a motive where we value others over self. We do something for the benefit of another. Love is a motive. Now this becomes very profound as you think about it. Because now what this does is shift our life purpose from an activity that we do to from what we do like uh, using our talents or having a family or achieving success or having fun or whatever it would be, that our life purpose now is really a life motive. That's a different way of thinking. So when we ask the question, God, why did you make me? It's not so much whether I should be a doctor, lawyer, or a plumber or whatever it is. It's really more uh, what would be the motive in which I would do all things. Our life purpose is a life motive. It's why we would do something. Now, this is much better because if our life purpose was just our career, then that means we're only being fulfilled for 40 or 50 hours a week. But if it's a motive, it means that our life purpose can infiltrate all that we do and everything that we do can become meaningful. I don't think anybody has ever said that my life purpose is to change diapers. I've never heard that. But if you're motivated by love, even something like that becomes redemptive because you're doing it because you love your child. A love motive is a profound way of thinking about life and about our life purpose. Uh, What is particularly powerful to me is that understanding this idea of motive is that it even makes pain meaningful. 
You know, of course, that in Western society, we have a new ethic, a new morality, and it's pain and pleasure, right? And if something's painful, clearly that's evil. And if something is pleasurable, clearly that's good. But when love is a motive, then even painful things can be incredibly meaningful because there's a higher reason for why we're doing it. Isn't that helpful to know? Love is a motive. It's even true with why you would join this church family. What motivates you to be here? I mean, the worship was amazing, not surprising. Just absolutely amazing. Super friendly people. But what motivates you to be here? Uh, Truth be told, you probably won't stay unless you figure out how to make love your motivation. Because something difficult is going to happen. Somebody's going to ignore you or say something dumb. Never happens in our church, but this church, this church would probably do something like that. And, uh, you know, and, and the, you'll get insulted and then you look for another place. But when love is a motive, it allows you to stay even in the midst of discomfort. And you're able to find a level of relationship that you never would have experienced had you not stayed. So this is what love is. Now, this definition helps explain a few things. We're just going to go through a few of them just kind of to flesh out this idea of what love is. The first question is, what is the opposite of love? Now, I've had the opportunity to go around onto different uh, high school and college campuses and talk about, uh, talk about love and sexual purity. The name, it's a really awkward title, the name of the seminar I do. It's called uh, Love, Sex, and Relationships with Dr. Greg Mitchell. That's, uh, we've got to work on that. That's an awkward title. But anyways, whenever I I go around on these college campuses, I always ask the same question, what is the opposite of love? And everybody says, hate. That's right. It's always the opposite. Uh, For sure, that's not true. Because God is love, and it actually says that he hates some things. So love and hate can actually coexist. That I so love my children, sometimes I hate what they do. When I see that they're doing things that are hurtful toward themselves or others, I hate that. Because I love them so much. So hate uh, isn't always the opposite. Of, of course, sometimes it is. If it's prejudice and those kinds of things. But better than that, uh, sin is the opposite of love. We have a definition of sin that's based on Isaiah 59.2. It says, but your iniquities have separated you from God. Uh, Here's a helpful definition of what sin is. Sin is whatever breaks right relationship with God and others. Now, I find that super helpful because for the longest time, I thought that sin was just a, God kind of had a a cosmic whiteboard, and then he, he wrote on there all the human behaviors and then drew a random line down the middle of it, and called one side good and the other side bad. And I didn't know what made a sin a sin. But a sin is anything that's going to break relationship with you uh, and God or you and others. I just think that that's so helpful. So the opposite of love then is sin. And sin is whatever breaks relationship. I remember a few years ago... Uh, in our previous church, we had an evening service uh, 
and there was a guy who came there I'd never seen him before and uh, we, we talked for a bit and he says I, I'm from out of town I just came into town I don't have any money and, uh, and so I looked at Debbie and I says hey Debbie you know why don't we just take this guy in he doesn't have a place to stay and he goes you do that and I go sure we're nice people and he had a he had a Jesus is Lord pen so I thought well he must be a nice guy you know and so uh, he lived with us for, I don't know, three or four days. And his way of saying thank you was to uh, steal our car, uh, my wife's purse, and a bunch of other stuff. Now, call me judgmental, but our relationship with him just wasn't the same after that. I don't know. <laughs> when someone steals your car, it, uh, it does something to you. Whenever God calls something a sin, he calls it that as a warning that if you do that, it's going to hurt your relationship with him or others. That's what sin always is. That's point number one. Number two, the law. Now, uh, in the Bible, I think that there's 613 laws. So uh, we're going to go through those this morning. <laughs> and uh, One by one. No. Uh, why did he write all that stuff down? Like, that's a lot of laws. I can't memorize them all. What is the purpose of the law? Whenever you read these things, I think sometimes you think it's just to make us feel bad. But here's what the purpose of the law is, is it describes love. It describes love. In Romans 13, 9 and 10, it says, The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. See, I find this incredibly helpful because the truth is sometimes I deceive myself. And we do that pleasure-pain thing. We think, well, if this feels good in the moment, then it must be good. And so God, in his infinite kindness, gives us a heads up in what love looks like and what sin and what divides looks like. Because it's so easy to deceive ourselves. Let me give you one example of this. Uh, if you, uh, this is the, from the uh, love, sex, and relationship with Dr. Greg Mitchell. <laughs> statistics. That's so bad. Um, but uh, here's, here's one of these uh, statistics. So if you, so it makes logical sense that uh, before you would get married, you would live with somebody. It's kind of like a test driving kind of thing. See if you're compatible. That makes sense, kind of, right? Well, research says that if you live with somebody before you get married, the divorce rate doubles in those marriages. Isn't that interesting? It's, it, it doubles if you would live together first. We have reasons for that that we can't get into today. But here's what's even more shocking. There was one study done, I think it was here on the, uh, on the East Coast, that if you, uh, if you get married as a virgin, or what the literature would call a secondary virgin, means that you were once promiscuous, but you've recommitted yourself to chastity. If you get married uh, as a virgin, the divorce rate is 3%. So average, at least in Canada, is 40%. Double that if you live together, 80%. If you're married as a virgin, 3%. So 
So God knows something that maybe we don't know about how to have healthy relationships. And so he tells us these things, not to be mean, not to suppress some urges, but to actually help us experience the kind of love and relationship that he has designed for us. Isn't that good news? So, the opposite of love then is sin. The law describes what love is. He's not trying to condemn us, he's trying to help us. Now look at the third one, is perfection. There's a verse in the Bible, or a few verses in the Bible that have really bothered me over the years, and I'd like to share them with you this morning. It's based out of Matthew chapter 5. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So I've been to Israel a few times. You know, I've touched a Pharisee. And, uh, and trust me, they are like way more righteous than you and I will ever be. By the time they're 13, they have the first five books of the Bible memorized. And then it kind of goes on from there. The verse, you know, just to rub it in, he says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What does this mean? To have a righteousness that's more than a pharisaical righteousness. The kind of perfection that, uh, that is how God himself is perfect. What is this talking about? It's talking about love. Uh, Love is more perfect than legalistic righteousness. Because with a loving heart, who are you thinking about? Others. In legalism, who are you thinking about? Yourself. And how to live up to whatever standards you think you should have. Now, to make this point... Uh, if you can put up that, di- that picture. This is my son. He's, he's, he's 31 now. He, he did this last week, in fact. <laughs> but, uh, but he did this when he was a kid. Now, I want you to look at this picture. Just look, first of all, at the drawing. There I am. I have gained a lot of weight. It was a good, it was a good winter. Um, but anyways, and uh, I'm choking my son. He's slightly off the ground, if you can tell. And uh, my wife was looking on in her see-through dress. <laughs> right? <laughs> so there's a, there's a few issues, um, you know, with the picture. Now, here's... I can't... No, I can't... Okay. Here's what it says. Uh, me and you forever together. Here's a little picture for me... For you to remember me when you're working. I hope you like it. You and mommy are my best friends. I love you, Daddy. Now, let me ask you a question about that picture. Is it perfect? It's a trick question, isn't it? Because you kind of want to say, well, to be honest with you, <laughs> I've seen better, you know. But from my perspective, is it perfect? I wouldn't change a thing. Could you and I have the courage to live that kind of life. I remember I've only been to Europe once. Went to Paris on on our way to Israel, actually. And so we got to go to the Louvre and see all these, you know, incredible artists. And if I was that good, I'd put my stuff on display too. 
And if you see that stuff, you go, I'm not sure who this is about. This is about you? But we know for sure who that's about. That he has the courage, even in his imperfection, to express love towards somebody else. I pray that we would have that kind of freedom in our life. That it wouldn't be about how well we're put together, how amazing whatever it is that we're doing. That it's not really about us, it's really about them. That feels like freedom to me. And that's what God invites us into when he invites us to love him and others. Because this becomes beautiful. This is what I pray, and I'm sure is already experienced here, is what this church family would be about. That it's about people sharing that kind of love. Not everybody being super put together and plastic smiles. And, but can you imagine being part of a community that would be comfortable with that kind of love? God, let it be so. And our final point that love explains is maturity. I'd like to give you a definition of maturity that's based on Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. It says, freely you have received, freely give. I'd like to present to you that uh, I think the biblical definition of maturity is not moral perfection, but it's the freedom to receive and give love. Uh, I really care a lot about counseling. I care a lot about psychological health, mental health. Those things really, I care a lot about those things. We have uh, lots of our own kids struggle with mental health at various levels. And I think what a healthy person, uh, who a healthy person is, isn't somebody who has a particular IQ or EQ or it's AQ. It's not about that. It's about whether somebody can freely receive and freely give. I think you're a healthy person if you can freely give and receive God's love. Now, that sounds beautiful, but it's a little tricky sometimes, isn't it? If you, uh, if you invite me out this, in, in the receiving, I have trouble receiving. Uh, if you invite me out for lunch and you pay, I'll remember. I promise you, I'll remember. And I, next time, I will pay. Uh, because I hate the feeling of being indebted to somebody. It just really makes me uncomfortable. That's a problem. It's a problem. I'm well-rounded, of course. I mean, I have a hard time giving love as well. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, but, but really, I think that's all that's going on in life. Can you imagine what our life would be like if it would all be lived under the umbrella of, of receiving and giving love? Can you imagine the next time you got your paycheck from your employer and you look at it and you go, that's it? You know, but what if that moment was a moment of receiving love? And what if all the work that you did for your employer was about giving love? And what if the reason why you pick the friends that you pick isn't so much about you, but it would be how they could be blessed? That would transform our lives. Like it would transform our lives. Love has the power to revolutionize all the decisions that we make. All the ways that we interact with others. 
So now life becomes, you know, I, I, I listen to people, and it seems as though we divide life into two categories, uh, love and me. And so you listen to this, and, I, and with great sympathy, so don't get me wrong, but you especially you listen to, to young moms, and they say, you know, I'm dying over here, and then what I need is some me time. Isn't that special? So we need me time. And I understand that. I get how we had three kids under three. I remember those times. And they were really, really hard. But uh, what if, follow me now on this, what if life would be balanced not between love and selfishness, but between giving and receiving? What if that was the new way that life could get balanced? That we're not just giving, 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 and then taking for ourselves, but we're giving and giving, and then we're receiving and receiving. Let me give you an example of this. I really like mountain biking. And uh, in Vancouver, people come from all over the world to, uh, to mountain bike in my city. And it's just, uh, I really, it amuses me. The adrenaline and going down and the cardio going up. And so, uh, so I really like it a lot. And uh, uh, my wife didn't quite see it that way. Let's put it that way. And she says, uh, she says, I think you love mountain biking more than me. And I think, let me just think. Um, no, I love you more. But I have to hesitate. I'm exaggerating. But it was, a, it was a big deal, and it was a big deal in our marriage. And here's what I would say to Debbie. I would say, do you know how hard it is to be a pastor? Nobody's with me. Do you know how hard it is to be? Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, it's really, really hard. Do you know how many people I try to love? And long hours, and, you know. Can I just do, like, one thing that's just about me? Can I do that? Is that really, you guys, come on now. Is that really unreasonable? I don't think that's unreasonable. My wife, however, thought it was unreasonable. And so here's what I did. I, uh, I decided not to mountain bike. I thought, if, if I'm being selfish, I'm not going to do it. So I just stopped. And then a number of months later, uh, Debbie comes up to me and she says, uh, you know, I've noticed that you haven't gone mountain biking lately. And I'm thinking in my head, it took you this long to notice this, but I didn't say it out loud. Not stupid. And she says, why don't you go for a ride? Now, here's what happened in that moment. In that moment, mountain biking became a, moved from being a selfish demand to a gift from my wife. And it became sweeter because now it's not something that I grasped for. It's something that was freely given. And I'm so glad that she did that. She's better at reading my motives than anyone else. And that was a gift to me. And it's courageous love that she extended towards me. Not to be mean, but to set me free. To set me free from a, lo- from a life that was balancing love and selfishness instead of a life that was living in the beautiful tension between giving and receiving. And so now, if I go biking, it's a gift. It's a gift. It's not a demand. It becomes a place of worship for me. Love has the power to redeem every part of our life. 
Therefore, maturity is not about being self-focused. Have you noticed, uh, I am the most godly when I'm alone. Yeah, you should see me, I'm amazing, but then you'd be there and that would be hard. But, uh, but I am the most godly when I'm alone. I never get angry. It's amazing, I never get overwhelmed. Always happy. And it seems sometimes like maturity is in contrast with relationship. But maturity isn't about being self-focused or about balancing life. There's a, uh, there's a quote by Woodrow Wilson, which I understand to be one of your presidents, so well done. Uh, I love this quote. If I wrote the Bible, I would put this in the Bible. That's how much I love this quote. But it's not, but, it, but it, I like it. Here it is. Listen to this. This is profound. If you think about what you should do for others, your character will take care of itself. If you think about what you should do for others, your character will take care of itself. Isn't that profound? It's not like, don't bug me, I'm trying to be godly. It's, let me think about you and I become godly. Isn't that beautiful? That sounds like freedom to me. Freely you have received, freely give. What if that's what God is inviting us into? The kind of freedom that I can just be present for you. And the kind of freedom in which you could be present for me. And I think that that's what family is about, isn't it? At least it's about where we're going. So, in conclusion, God fulfills our life purpose. There's a verse in the Bible that I think uh, beautifully summarizes what Christianity is all about. And it's Acts 2.38. It says this, uh, repent. Now, repent isn't about feeling bad and trying harder. Repent means a change of direction, which is simply away from sin and self-centeredness toward love and relationship. To repent is to say, I want to live my life toward love and relationship. Repent and be baptized. Well done. Uh, Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for, for two reasons. Listen to this. For the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's forgiveness, God forgives how we've been unloving, and then he empowers us to love him and others. This is the Christian message. What I'm going to do is I'm going to forgive everything that you've done that has divided you from me and from others. I'm going to forgive all that so that you can actually have a past and not live in ongoing guilt, condemnation. I'm going to forgive everything that you've done wrong, and then I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit that's going to empower you to love me and to love others the way you've always wanted to but weren't able to. That's the Christian message. And it's what God invites you into today. The freedom from unlove into the empowering to receive and give love. Is that an invitation that's worth receiving? I think it is. Can we pray together? Father, I thank you for making life simple enough that we could follow it, that it's just all about love. And I pray for each dear person here that you would bless them with the freedom to give and receive your love. And so in this moment, we receive your forgiveness. If this is the first time that you've ever done this, or you've done this a thousand times before, this is a new moment. Just let yourself receive the forgiveness of Jesus.
where your guilt is no longer held against you. You're no longer defined by what you've done wrong. You're now defined by the relationship you have with him. And then receive his spirit, the spirit of life that empowers us to be able to love him and love others with great freedom and joy. Just receive him. He's here to be received. Father, we thank you for the life that is found in you. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.